0: Morning everyone, lovely to see you, Uh, did anyone see the rugby? (laughs) My heart was broken last week because I'm an Ireland supporter, Uh, but I'm on the board of 24-7 Prayer South Africa, so I was secretly rooting, but I was supporting Andy Taylor who's with us, uh, who was all over England last night, and uh, losing by one point, anyway, let's not dwell on it, who's from South Africa here? There's some people here, but they've gone, oh never mind, we were going to give them a hard time. But... uh, (laughs) It's great. It's, uh, it's really good to be here, and I thought that word that Chris brought was just so accurate, really, about like the, that what God is doing cannot be contained in the kind of normal structure that God wants to work and do what he does beyond what we normally think. So, and it's beautiful to have Andy and Helen here this morning, and Daniel. Daniel, Danielle, benvenido. It's so good to have them, uh, you know, because like God... God sends people, God sends people out beyond the normal structures of who we are and what we do and to see what those guys are doing in Peru is absolutely phenomenal. And what they're doing by extension is what we're doing at Hope Church. They're part of this church and they are, you know, sent from this church. So it's a it's a beautiful thing to see see what they're doing and see all that's happening. And I know in a few weeks they're gonna be sharing some of that stuff, so that'll be super exciting. We were meant to be doing a talk on uh, John Mark Comer's practicing the way on the scriptures. And they didn't, for some reason, they must have had some technical problems, but they haven't done the videos or any of the stuff yet. So we were like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We follow John Mark Comer. He's our, he's our guru. And uh, he's actually, have you seen any, anyone seen a photo of John Mark Comer? He's actually one of the most handsome Christians I know. Just, just putting it out there. And, uh... But this morning, I thought we would still talk about Scripture. I thought it would be really good for us to talk about the Bible this morning. And many of us will think, I've heard lots and lots of sermons about the Bible before. Uh, The Bible is the living, active Word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, it says in Hebrews. Uh, For many years, some churches have been a little bit Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You know, But the reality is we're Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we believe in, but we do believe that the word of God is divine, it's inspired, and it's how we should live our life. So a professor once took uh, an empty jar and placed three or four large rocks into it. He asked if his class if it was full, and the students looked at it and they answered, yes, it is full. But then he poured some gravel into the jar and asked if it was full the gravel all filled in around the big rocks. And they were like, mm, looks full now. And I said, yeah, it's full. And then he got some sand out and he poured some sand in and it went around the gravel and it went around the rocks and the jar continued to fill up. And, they were, and he said to his students, is it, is it full now? And they were like, well, it looks pretty full. Yeah, I guess it is. And then he got some water. And he poured some water in the jar and the, and the water seeped in between the sand and the gravel and the rocks and the jar eventually was full. So he said to his students, what, what can we learn from this illustration? And one of them put their hands up and said, you know, no matter how much you have going on in your life, you can always squeeze something else in. But the professor said, no, I'm sorry, you're wrong. The moral was that if you do not get the big rocks in first, you will never get them in at all. It's the importance of putting the big rocks in first. This was a principal taught by a guy called Stephen Covey who's got a management book on the seven effective somethings of leadership or whatever, highly effective seven habits of highly effective people. But you will find in most organizations, most businesses, that if you put the big rocks in first, the things that are important, and you don't get waylaid by the gravel and the sand and the water, you, know, you kind of stay focused and we see organizations are on track because they remember what their big rocks are. The same would be said for us as Christians. When it comes to growing in faith, As followers of Jesus, as people who seek to follow the way, people who seek to be like him, we need to put the big rocks in first. If I'm going to be an effective follower of Jesus, what are the big rocks that I need to put in my life at the beginning? Or what do I need to tip my jar out and realign? What are the big rocks that I need to put in? Well, one of the biggest rocks that we all need to put in our lives as followers of Jesus is the Word of God. It's foundational to our faith, to our growth, to helping us as we walk through our lives. And this morning, I want to look at the big rock of Scripture that we need to put in our own lives. Now, someone was at church a few weeks ago, and, they, and at the end of the meeting, they said to me, I feel a bit inadequate after today's service. And can I just say that no one should ever leave church feeling inadequate? that's not quite how it should be we so there's no sense in my teaching here this morning where i want you to feel like i'm inadequate i don't read the bible enough i'm i wish i you know the the idea here is for me to bring a gentle challenge provocation that we as the children of god that we as followers of jesus that we as disciples should put the big rocks in first And there's an incredible importance for me as a Christian that I read, understand, and allow the Word of God to be living and active in me. And so that's what I want to look at. So let's look at Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3. By the way, if you're ever reading the Psalms, Psalms 1 and 2, they say they go together. And they're like an introduction to the other 150 Psalms. So Psalm 1 and 2, right at the beginning, are the, the uh, intro to the whole of the Psalms. They, kind of, they do that a bit in the Psalms, by the way. They, the, the, the monks and the guys that split it all up, they split one Psalm into two Psalms. It happens a lot, but it's, it's fine. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3 said this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked day and night they absorb meditation is like absorbing meditation isn't some far eastern mystical thing the med you know we read from genesis the word meditation is in the bible actually meditating on the world is on the word is allowing it to permeate to get into you to affect you and so the psalmist right at the beginning in psalm 1 as you're about to read 150 psalms he says you've got to meditate on this day and night allow it to get into you to permeate into your being and into to your soul, and this is this is very probably as this psalm would have been given as a tract, like a small kind of piece of paper, to every Jewish young person. And this would have been the first psalm that they were taught to read. And so, this would have been the first psalm that Jesus ever learned to read. He was given this, you know, and, and right at the beginning, it says, Meditate on his word day and night. It was a part of their socialization into the tribe. And I guess whenever we are, that means as they came into the tribe and grew up in the tribe, one of the important things was that you meditate on the word day and night. And I guess whenever you become a Christian and you are being socialized into the tribe, welcomed into the family, embraced into his kingdom, one of the parts of our socialization, how we learn and how we grow in our faith, is that we meditate on the word day and night that we allow it to get into us. In Jewish synagogues, people stood to read the Scriptures, and interestingly, they would sit to tell the sermon. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Well, from my perspective right now, that'd be cool. Uh, And so, so they stood to read the Scriptures, but they sat to do the sermon because they placed incredible importance on the Word of God. In their day, they called it the Torah, So that was the the Old Testament. They put incredible importance on that, but they stood to read it. Actually, we see that it happened to Jesus in Luke 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. So Jesus put incredible importance in Scripture. It was something that was really important to him. And Hebraic tradition was one that held the Torah with absolute kind of respect. And I guess for you and I, because we have easy access to the Word of God, to the Bible, we don't necessarily think about it in the same way. But you know that in the Celtic monks in Ireland that they sent out all around the world, you were not allowed to be sent out as a Celtic monk unless you'd learnt by memory all 150 psalms. (laughs) That's amazing, isn't it? You had to memorize them all. Once you'd memorized all the psalms, they say, right, you're ready to go. You're good to go. Actually, I was talking to a priest last week, and he was saying in his tradition, they have to recite the psalms, one to 150, every four weeks. And he was like, he's older than me, so he was a little bit old, and he's memorized them all. Every four weeks, he works for a cycle of going through the psalms. It's incredibly important. We see it in lots of traditions. And the biggest psalm in the Bible is Psalm 119. It's got 176 verses. It's actually longer than the... That one psalm is longer than the book of Philippians, the book of James, the book of Ruth. You know, it's just one psalm, 176 verses. And it, it was the kind of pinnacle of the psalms. It's about the word of God. You know, the purpose of the psalm was to celebrate God's word and his instruction to his people. Actually, at Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, they would quote Psalm 119, time and time again. uh, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That's Psalm 119, verse 72. They would use that. And there's a tradition within the Eastern Orthodox tradition that says that when David was getting old, he taught Solomon Psalm 119. Uh, It was a topic that, you know, because it's alphabetical, it's a way of teaching the Hebrew alphabet, but it's also the alphabet for spiritual life. Because it follows all, each little section follows the, the, the different part of the uh, Hebrew alphabet. As it goes through Psalm 119. Someone actually said Psalm 119 is not about the topic of getting Scripture into your life. Instead, it is the honest words that erupt when God gets into you. There's something about reading the Word of God that we allow Him to get into us. It's more than just Bible study. It's an outcry of faith. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, Victorian preacher, said, We might do well to commit Psalm 119 to memory. But that's a tall order with 176 verses. But there are some beautiful verses in Psalm 116. Verse 32 says this, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. I, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. And there's something here that's saying about actually, as we as we learn about God, our understanding gets broadened. As we read his commands, we understand things in a better way. There's freedom in it. You know, I have sought out your precepts, and I will walk about in freedom. So actually, it's not this kind of like you've got to read the Bible because you're a Christian. If you don't read the Bible, you're gonna to go to hell. That's not true. But there's a reality that actually. When we get the Bible into us, it gives us incredible freedom and it gives us a sense of who we are and how we can walk through life. It's so much more than sound bites or tweets or X's or whatever they call now, Twitter, I don't know. Eugene Peterson said this, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. You know, sometimes we just, it can just get, we can be a bit reductionist when it comes to the Bible. We can boil it down to a very simple, easy kind of little memory verses, which are incredibly important and we do need them. But I was reading something yesterday, it was about, it's called the the Lubjana Reading Manifesto. It said this, the digital realm may foster more reading than ever in history. But it also offers many temptations to read in a superficial and scattered manner, or even not read at all. This increasingly endangers high-level reading. And I don't know, but we are in a, in a culture these days where uh, we kind of skim, scan, and scroll One professor from UCLA said, Doing deep reading on your phone is as hard as playing tennis with your phone. There is something about a deeper level of reading that comes when we agree with ourselves that we will read the word of God. Because uh, another psychologist, a guy called Steven Pinker, said this, Readers learn empathy by immersing themselves in other people's worlds. And so when we read the Bible, and he says actually in other people's minds, when we read the Bible, we learn about God. We learn who he is, what he does. We learn about his thoughts. We learn about his people. We learn something, and it affects us. We have seen a rise in what some would call simplism. Simplism. The ideology of simple answers for complex questions. We live in a really complex world with lots and lots of complexities. If we're only looking for sound bites, if we're only scrolling down the little pieces here and there, we're, we're giving ourselves over to simplism, the, the simple little sound bites of life. When actually, the Bible is an incredibly complex and beautiful book. I love it because like, when you, you, know, when you actually read it, Like If you were to think about Psalm 109, for instance, I was reading this the other day, and it's David is praying here. This is like, imagine if someone did this on Sunday morning. David is praying about someone who upset him and hurt him. Uh, Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. And so on and so on. If someone started praying like that in your small group on a Wednesday night, you'd be like, hang on, we need to take you to one side and have a little chat about your issues here. But the Bible is this incredibly honest book that captures the rawness of people's emotions and the honesty of their emotions. It doesn't doesn't shy away from or hide from the realities and challenges and difficulties of life. It's worth digging into because it isn't just about, it'll all be all right in the morning. It it, it does give us that. It does open a door to the miraculous and to God breaking in and to God doing beautiful and amazing things. But it also shows us the pain and the heartbreak of everyday people living everyday lives that sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. Walter Brueggemann says this, the teachers in this psalm are not simple-minded and reductionists. They do not imagine that life can be reduced to one-dimensional commandments. To commandment living rather the Torah or Bible obedience is a starting point a launch pad from which to mount an ongoing conversation with God through daily experience so when we read the Bible we launch into an ongoing daily conversation with God that helps us deal with the complexities of our own lives Timothy said this or Paul said this to Timothy sorry all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, in some translations put it. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, training in righteousness, so that God's servant may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. What the writer is saying is all the scriptures they had when they wrote it, and for, that, for, that, for us that means the whole Bible, is God-breathed. It's inspired by God that warms my heart. I want to know about it. But you're saying, hang on, how did that happen? (laughs) Of course, God didn't do it directly. He he didn't dictate. He used human authors. Over a period of 1,500 years, this Bible was written. It was written by kings and scholars, philosophers and fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, and doctors. They put this together over all that time. They wrote different types of literature within the Bible, such as history, poetry, prophecy, and letters. The claim that this book is 100% the work of human beings, but also 100% inspired by God. It is God-breathed. It is God-speaking. But how? Well, a lot of people would say that Sir Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral, which you can see right there. He started in 1676. It took him 35 years to build it. He was 44 when he began. He was 79 when it was completed in 1711. We often say that. But Sir Christopher Wren didn't build St. Paul's Cathedral. He actually didn't lay a single stone. Other people did that. But he directed the whole operation. He inspired it. He was the architect behind it. And in the same way, God himself didn't kind of write this. He used human authors. So when I read the Bible... I'm always on his quest to get to know the architect, the creator behind creation, the inspirer behind the inspiration. That's who I'm looking for when I'm reading the Bible because he's in it. He's there and he's dying for us to come and meet him in his word with the Holy Spirit breathing on it and bringing it to life. <laughs> Do you know what though? Sometimes it's boring. Honestly, I just had to say that. With, with all my respect towards the Bible, which I've been reading for... You know, over 40, 50, I think I've been reading the Bible since I was five. Right, that's a while, okay? Like 48, 48 years, oh my goodness. Oh, just felt really old all of a sudden. But anyway, I think it needs to be said, right? We do need to say that, that sometimes it can be a little bit boring. But the, the thing is, you've got to get your mind in the right place when you come to it. I'm just trying to be realistic. You know, the worst thing we could have in our minds is everyone. It's not like a goosebump moment every time we go there. It's not like, wow, amazing. Sometimes it is, but not all the time. You see, it's like me saying to my sons when they were young, let's have some quality time. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, quality time. Like, oh, great, Dad. Yeah, quality time, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. But I'm playing Call of Duty with my friends. I don't, I don't need that in my life. Do you know what happens? Here's how I found out you have quality time with your children. You give them quantity time. And you spend a lot of time with them. And out of those moments, throughout your week, little quality moments would pop up. I had more quality moments doing the dishes with my son than I had doing any scheduled quality time. Because we did it every night. Quantity. We put the quantity in. And you put the quantity in and the quality moments come. And sometimes we just got to do it. Persevere. Keep reading the Bible. And your mindset is important when it comes to the Bible. You know, you've got to get your head in the right place. You know, it, uh, approach it kind of like thirsty and hungry and prayerfully, and God's going to meet you there. Use, how should I read it? Well, use, use apps, use things that'll help you. You know, it's really good. There's stuff out there. There's like Nicky Gumbel's, the Bible in one year. We do a little app called Lectio 365, but it's a bit of a skim, if you know what I mean. It's good, it gives you a good little devotional, but it's not a deep read. It's not, a, and I mean, I'm responsible, one of the team responsible for delivering. It's not a deep read. So we need a little bit more than that. In fact, I was looking at this infographic from the Bible Society. I don't know if you can see this. It gives us some numbers. To read the Old Testament, this is the average reader. I'm assuming we're average. Yeah, okay, good. I'm average. 56 hours and 44 minutes to read the Old Testament. 17 hours and 44 minutes to read the New Testament. The whole Bible, obviously, due to some, 72 hours and 28 minutes. And then it gives you help. If you want to do it in a week, (laughs) 10 hours and 38 minutes to read the whole Bible in a week. Two hours to read it in a month. 50 minutes to read it in five months. 25 minutes to read it in six months. 12 minutes, on average, to read the Bible in one year. Six minutes, you could do it in two years. So I think sometimes when we think, hang on, I can't do this," it's, it's interesting that they say the average person the, once again I'm just assuming we're all average spends 150 minutes a day on social media. Right? Maybe you're not average. You're not, hang on, that's a bit strong, Brian. That's, not, that's, just, that's just less than three hours, by the way. So just to give you an idea that if we could <laughs> I'm not here to make you guilty, I'm just saying. When you actually look at it, it's four chapters a day. You read it in a year. It takes you 15 minutes. You mightn't understand it all. It mightn't all go in, but it's worth doing because it starts to embed itself in you. Well, how do we do that? Well, I've got got my yes, but how moment because I think we need that. Here's a few top tips for reading the Bible. Read different versions. What do you mean by that? Well, I've been reading the same version for a long time, and then sometimes I just go into autopilot because you know it. Like I said, I've been reading the Bible for 48 years. If I get to John 1 in the AV, it's like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of the world. And the light shone in the darkness. The darkness can't be ended. It not. And so on. No, it's, no it wasn't. But, no, but do you understand? So when I'm looking at that, you can imagine the autopilot that happens. It doesn't sink in. But if I read it in a different version, by the way, there are 400 different translations of the Bible in English. Just to give you an idea, it helps. Now I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in things like the message. I think it's great. It's a great entry level. the the passion The passion Bible is a good kind of like devotional thing that sits alongside the real Bible, you know. And so, and, and the, the the message is an entry point. But actually, it's really helpful for us to just look at different versions. So if you're old school and you've been reading the same Bible for ages, why not change it up? It's interesting. Take notes. i always approach the bible with a little highlighter the other thing that's fascinating is it'd be really good to have paper bibles you know remember the days remember paper (laughs) i know it's like a couple of dead trees but i'm sure they'll willingly give their life for the bible but uh i was actually at a church in america and they encouraged the entire church on sunday to bring their bible And when they do the Bible reading at the beginning, everybody stands up. They're like a charismatic church like us, and they do a Bible reading. Everyone stands up, and everybody brings their... their, The the reason behind that is the minute they say, can you look at your Bible, and you go on your phone, and you notice, oh, I've just sold something on (laughs) Vinted at the same time as I'm meant to be reading the Bible. And I wonder how much I got for that. And then I'm like... Oh, and I'll check my other stuff on eBay. And then before you know, oh, look, someone sent me a notification from Facebook. But, and all the time you're trying to read the Bible. Do you know what I mean? So that you bring it in paper, all that kind of stuff is not going to happen. Super practical. Anyway, that's how we like it. Read whole books. Do you know that's another really good thing to do? You know Mark, say the book of Mark. It was, uh, it was written so that it could be read out in two hours to a community. So sit down and read the whole book. Read it like you would a story. Get crack on, read the whole of a book in one go. It's really, really helpful. It's you know, honestly, I can give my life to a good box set. I'm watching Only Murders in the Building on Disney Plus, right? <laughs> I've watched one and then I thought, just watch another one. And then like, I'll just watch another one. And then you're like, you should go to bed now. It's like 11. Oh, Chase, we could just squeeze another one in. We could just squeeze another one in. And, you've, and you've spent two, I've spent easy two hours of my life watching a film, a, a, a comedy programme about people being murdered in Manhattan. And then I don't have time to read my Bible. Just, I, I'm just saying, these things happen, don't they? I mean, is it, am I the only one who's got Netflix? No. We've all, has anyone else ever been there where you've watched one and just pushed, pushed it too far? I remember when 24 came out years ago. And, they, and someone, we lived in Spain, so someone would send us, and we'd watch it. One night, I think, we had to get the boys to school, and we set up to 2 o'clock, like watching one after the other after the other. It was ridiculous. But read whole books. You can, you can watch whole box sets, read whole books. Read it slow. Sometimes it's good just to think, I'm just going to take my time. I'm just going to read a bit of it every day and just get into it and let you know. just take my time. Reading it gently and slowly, it's, it's an important thing to do. Uh, use commentaries or Bible studies. You can get them online, you can buy them, you can, you can look it up. The Bible Hub has all these different Bible commentaries. really nice if you're reading, say, Genesis, and then you put a Bible commentary next to it, and it kind of explains what do they mean by the Nephtali, or the giants, or the Levitan, and, you know, all these weird words. And, then, and then you've got a, a, a professor just explaining it to you, and it's brilliant. So these are just, like, helpful tools. And, and I would read it prayerfully. Uh, The commentators are good instructors, said Spurgeon, but the author himself is far better. And prayer makes a direct appeal to him and enlists him in our cause. It is a great thing to pray oneself into the spirit and marrow of the text. (laughs) Working into it by sacred feeding thereon. I love it. I love Spurgeon. Sometimes he's got such good words. And it's almost like when I mean prayerfully reading the Bible it's like this Samuel in the temple he said speak Lord for your servant is listening and when it comes to the Bible I just think there are moments where we go speak Lord for your servant is listening speak and then we approach it prayerfully like that so here's I think as well check out the Bible project by the way I've put a QR code up if you want to if people are into that oh, no one dare get the phone out now do that's the problem <laughs> I I didn't think that one through, did I? Anyway, uh, check out the Bible Project if if you're into QR codes. Uh, uh, There you go. Some places it works really well. Uh, But yeah, uh, check out the Bible. It's www. (laughs) <laughs> thebibleproject.com do you know what, it's so good they do podcasts, they do all sorts of things got a friend, someone I know called Tim Mackey it's an, amazing, uh, it's an amazing thing that would really help you understand the Bible it explains Hebrew words it explains whole books check it out if you, if, you've got, if you can pick up the code there but I guess remember to put the big rocks in first and that the Bible is an incredibly not just important but it is essential for you as a follower of Jesus and for me as a follower of Jesus that we allow this living, active word to get into our lives. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this, your word is a light to my feet and a guide on my path. And I hope this morning I have just encouraged us all once again to take a look at the word of God because in it there is power There is life. There is energy. I'm going to pray, and Lorraine's going to come lead us in a final song. Is that cool? Brilliant. Yeah. Father, we want to be people of your word. We want to be people who listen to you, who follow you. Help us to be disciples, Lord, and to be effective, strong disciples. We need to build our lives on some of these big rocks, And Lord, I just pray that we would allow your word to become more real, living, and active to each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to stand and we'll we'll worship one last song, if that's okay. Thank you, if you're able to.